Welcome to the Order Up Show, the operations management podcast presented by Ops Analytica. Hey there, it's Tommy from Ops Analytica. Hey, we've all heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out. And that is especially true when it comes to the data that you're collecting from your employees and your franchisees. Some of the data is accurate. You have good, thoughtful people working on your team, and some of the data is not. The problem is, how do you determine the good data from the bad data? And more importantly, how do you get the bad data out of there so you're not basing your time and your analysis and your decisions on the garbage? Well, Ops Analytica has solved that for you with our new data accuracy scoring algorithm. Within this algorithm, we can determine which data is good, which data is bad. And when you get into the dashboards, you are literally one click away from filtering out all the garbage and focusing all your attention and energy on analyzing the good data. It's a game changer for anybody who, who believes in data-driven decision-making. So please check us out at opsanalytica.com and get a demo today. Hey, this is Tommy. This is part two of the Joseph Sala interview. If you haven't seen part one yet or heard part one, go check us out on your podcast provider. Thanks. Because I remember when we did our interview and I said, we're like an operations data and analytics platform. And you were like, ah, I'm trying to get the word and out of there. You just need to be an operations. Yep. <laughs> Which is, I refined that message down. But, um, but yeah, no, it's interesting. You were right though. But I like that. Double your budget or cut your expectations in half. Because if you think about an ad, an ad right? You're you're and especially like on a Facebook ad where you can't even be all words, right? You can only be like mm -hmm. words. Like you're trying to get like literally one word in your logo to pin through, right? Like uh, you know the image, some word that's on there in your logo are the three things you're trying to communicate. You know you don't want this bad thing to happen or this is good. And this is the guy who brought it to you, you know, that's right. And if you have an, and now you're trying to get two messages across on the same ad, you know, you're now doubling the, you know, you have to cut your expectations in half because not everyone's going to see the same without one word thing, you know, that's right. I mean, it goes for everything in life too. Uh, yeah. That's a life lesson. Like you, you cannot be 100% the best uh roofer and the best landscaping guy unless you're actually paying for two of those experts in your company but as a as a as a person you can be a general practitioner that has a lot of decent or good ideas never great never masterful never expertise uh but enough to like move things along quite honestly that's the hallmark of a great cmo is someone who knows a bit about it a lot but can't actually do it all themselves. The sure. worst CEOs are the ones that think they can, and our CMOs, I should say, are the ones that think they can. The greatest CMOs know enough to guide and direct and know what's good versus bad, and also have an eye for finding partners, whether it be an operations optimization and maximization program, or an advertising and branding agency, or name it. Um, can see it, knows how to interact, knows how to evoke the best outputs, and collaborate well and knows that they're not the expert at the table. Um, it takes confidence, it takes self-assurance, and it also takes the knowledge that like, you literally cannot be an expert at everything. Um, and so 
I would say everyone listening should really hear that because as a, let's say if you're a single or, or just a small multi-unit, meaning one to five locations, chances are you're trying to be GM, CEO, CMO, floor sweeper, tech person, uh, construction build-out manager, you know, you're not going to be good at all those. You know, chances are there's there's someone much better. And when the time is right, your job as, as someone who's growing as a leader and growing this footprint is to start to identify a mix of a couple of things. What aren't you that good at? And what do you hate to do? So good news for you. If you find one that ticks both those boxes, that's the first third party partner you should be looking for. Um, you know, so if it's accounting, for instance, then you need to be looking for an accounting person today, even though it may be a year before you hire them, because that's the first hat you got to take off. And I think the goal of growth is to identify the areas that you don't like and you're not good at, or one or the other, and as you build and get the momentum going, find partners you can trust and then trust them. Because if you've hired a partner that you don't trust, you've hired the wrong partner. Um, and, and I think that's the key to, to strong growth in any business, but specifically one as notoriously uh, failure-ridden as ours, uh, the restaurant industry. Um, and I think it's because of people overstretching themselves, uh, pinching pennies where pennies shouldn't be pinched. Yeah. And not investing where they should be invested. Nah, I would agree with that completely. I've been thinking about a lot of this stuff too as we're growing. And I'm like, yeah, there are certain like with there are certain things that we just don't do as a company, or if we do them, we do them begrudgingly and we do them like half ass because we hate doing them. And mm -hmm. but there's a reason why those people add value to bigger companies. And you know, the next people that we hire are gonna have to be some of these people that we just don't want to deal with because it's just like, you know. Yeah. They add value. You know what I mean? That's right. Like HR stuff. You're just like, that's right. <laughs> like every time we get an employee in a new state and my business partner has to go and like deal with the state and get them all signed up with like unemployment insurance and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, he just curses for hours. <laughs> yeah. So and there's so many systems out there that are good at things like that now. Um, like Gusto and Zenefits and. Yeah. You know these these are great programs who are really hitting you know that uh, pain point dead on oh i know um, it's everything right you know creative people don't want to do accounting creative people don't want to do financials you know what i mean like, that's right it was one of the first hats i took off i was like please lord get me accountants like that can actually run my or a bookkeeper actually was that can like run my books that's what i really need absolutely all right so like that was question number one I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, question number two, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Yeah, internally, um, we're, we're integrating some new technology that's allowing us to be stronger marketing partners, um, not necessarily advertising, but marketing ongoing evergreen. Um, really excited about that stuff, whether it's being able to actually create a custom skin over top, top of the Olo platform with upselling baked in and things like that to, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, Wi-Fi gating that also then powers a ton of data to increase and maximize results from uh, marketing and advertising on the meta platform and Google display network uh, and things like that, as well as email. Uh, so we're, we're on the hunt to just have data and data analysis um, drive our strategies and our efforts without losing the creative angle of thinking 
And I think that's a tough balance. Um, not tough, but it's it can be. So what you don't want to do is become an automaton to the data. You know, it's like, oh, well, the data says that this ad doesn't do well. It's like, so we'll stop doing that ad. It's like, well, no, let's look at it. Why do we think it's not doing well? Is it the CTA? Is it the fact that it says explore the menu instead of buy now or vice versa? How about we make that one little shift and see if it moves uh, any kind of uh, plus or minus? And I think one of the reasons why that's really tough to do is, again, going back to leaders want to see results. And so they're actually scared to see the minus. Um, and I think that's where data has actually done a disservice in a lot of ways because you can see the minuses. And it's like, well, if there's a minus happening, if we're losing or we're not seeing the return we expected, the question or the response shouldn't be, okay, stop doing it. It should actually be a question. Why, why is that happening? Do we have ineffective managers who haven't activated programs correctly? Is it, is it the product? Do people just not want the product? Um, and, and I think that that's been really great. So data is our friend and, and we're, we intend to continue to use it, I think, intelligently uh, and not mindlessly. Outwardly focused, um, I know this sounds cliche, but every project we start and bring in is our most favorite project. Um, you know, right now we are finishing up some brand, uh, brand identity evolutions for a group in the DC area that we're just super pumped about. They have been excellent to collaborate with. Um, they are inspiring us and vice versa. And then they are buying into some ideas that I think are unorthodox um, because they see the bigger vision and we've built it on a sound strategy that they've bought into. So always excited about that stuff. Um, and then I think outside of that, it's, uh, you know, continuing to do the podcast, talking with leaders like you. I know it's not necessarily an initiative, but I, I just love hearing from the leaders and giving them a safe place to talk about hot button issues. So loving all three of those things. Sure. So I have a question. Explain to me, explain to everybody what Wi-Fi gaming is. Oh yeah, sure. So if I come to your, uh, your, your restaurant, um, I want to use the Wi-Fi because 98% of Gen Z has a smartphone. And I think it's 90% of millennials have, or 94% have a smartphone. So they want to use the Wi-Fi to do any number of things while they're waiting for the food, maybe even order the food. Um, but why give that up free? So instead, you get a little note that says, hey, enter your email address and we'll give you access. So boom, email address entered. And then I get my Wi-Fi access. And uh, that email address goes into your marketing system then. And so you can use it to talk to that person again and again. The system that we have been leveraging and started to roll out to our clients allows us to take that email, connect dots to other behaviors anonymously. But we then know that you're on Facebook and on Instagram, if you've allowed us to know that. And as a result, we can see things that you're interested in within a certain amount of privacy related issues. Um, so we start to see behaviors. Uh, we then can use that information as well as your email address to tailor messaging to you via email and then also drive stronger uh, advertising on the meta platform and the Google Display Network platforms. Um, so now we're not just using their, their native uh, features to try to find interest groups. We know their interests because they connected to our Wi-Fi. What's also brilliant then is as you walk around, for instance, a lot of people don't know this, but our phones automatically refresh Wi-Fi pings every 30 minutes. And so as you're walking around, it's looking for Wi-Fi devices. 
So we actually see how close you are to the location before you've even logged in. We can see how long you've stayed at the location, which means that you probably ate there, which means when we run ads and send emails, we can prove that it actually put someone through your front door and they ate there, which is pretty great. And that's all from Wi-Fi gating. So you're gating access to the Wi-Fi. So, and you're not like intercepting their signal while they're in the restaurant. You're, but because you have their email address, you're able to pull their statistics out of Facebook and then create lookalike audiences off them and all those other things because now you have their email address. So you're not intercepting their communication. You're just taking that most valuable, unique identifier that they readily gave you. And, yep. and you're going, hey, by the way, now I know who you are and I can see everything else you're doing because you know, Facebook's got what, like 5,000 plus data points on us all. Yeah, Great. yeah. Yeah, so we're not intercepting anything and it's completely, um, you know, obviously we realize this feels like big brother stuff. If you have denied sharing that information, we don't get it. Yeah. Um, but once you've logged in and it basically registers your device on our network, we then have that information. There is a unique user ID that is connected to other things that we have access to. Um, so long as you've allowed sharing of that data, we can see it. And then let's just say you come to our restaurant and you don't log in to the Wi-Fi. Well, because your phone automatically pings the router anyway, just to show you that it's available for Wi-Fi access, we see that you're there. Um, so you don't even need to really log in. And we're not intercepting. It's just your phone is talking to our router. It's just the way our phones work. Um, my, my wife did a free class at a Pilates studio. And I think around here somewhere. And then she was at another mall, like, you know, out, uh, uh, 20 minutes away. Mm -hmm. She walked by the same Pilates studio. And because she did a free class, she obviously gave them all of her information, you know, phone number, whatever. They texted her and said, hey, are you coming in for a class? Yep. Because they had her, they had her phone, email and phone number in their system and whatever device they're utilizing on their Wi-Fi saw that she was there and connected it all up and then gave her an immediate, come on in for a class. Yep. It's amazing. And I think that's using data intelligently and, and it's supposed to align with behaviors and not be out of the blue intrusive. I mean, the fact is if I have a high end pizza restaurant, that's like an average check of 50 bucks, I probably don't want to be talking to somebody who makes minimum wage and can't afford to come there more than once a year yeah um you know i'm not trying to play classism but no. I'll, probably, I'll come up with a better a better example later but you know what i mean it's like you know you want to talk to the people that you're primed to really attract and attract often um and so a lot of our lives and our behaviors are stored in the cloud via our phone and our unique user id now we can't tell that it's that it's tommy for instance unless you have registered with us then we know it's you yeah. um and we certainly aren't allowed to see um, the details of what you're looking at uh, on the internet and in this world, but we can get generalities like categories. So if for instance, let's say you come to my restaurant and you register your, your Wi-Fi, well, let's just say after that, you spend the rest of the day looking at, looking at camping gear. You better believe I wanna send you an email about why my hamburger is awesome at a campsite. You know, like yeah. it's obvious that we know what you're interested in. 
um, or get more ethereal with lifestyle messaging like hamburgers for the rugged outdoorsy man or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and we but live that, in an era where that can happen. Well, yeah. And I mean, that stuff's coming off LinkedIn and all your social media networks and your That's Google right. search. Those things are all coming up off of those pieces. All you got from me with the Wi-Fi gate was I'm Tommy and I'm here now. That's right. But then that other stuff exists on all these other platforms that you're pulling it together. And that's where you can bring. But knowing that, like you said, then, yeah, like, would that ad, would your hamburger ad play more to me if just the image alone were a bunch of guys and gals out at a campsite, you know, with like beers and a fire? You know what I mean? Right. Would that, would I be more receptive to, you know, Joseph's Burgers, if that was the image on the back of the ad versus, you know, a sailing boat, right? Sailing's fine, but I don't sail. I never That's sail, right. but I camp. And these guys are all like me. I mean, how many like television commercials are based off of creating the, the either the ideal lifestyle or the actual lifestyle of the person who's going to purchase, right? Like, I want to be fit and jumping around on a beach with a bunch of bikini clad women or, you know, <laughs> yeah. That's that's why right. I drink Budweiser. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, like uh Michelob ultra, for instance, yeah. I mean, the people that they're trying to talk to is very clear. They're talking to the people that are fit that go to the gym and work out often, but do want to have a beer. Um, and so you can show things to that. And, you know, with the data that we're getting, let's say for platforms like Ops Analytica, the data that we're getting from this other platform and a few other of our partners, you can really start to see stories unfold. And it may change what you thought you were marketing and what you were, what you should be messaging. And that's okay. That's why we have it. Um, but I don't think, I mean, there are a lot of leaders out there that are not ready to admit that they may have been wrong at, at, with their initial presumptions. Um, and that's something that has to be kicked out real quick because the, the winners are the ones that can absorb, analyze, um, make changes. Yeah. Make changes, pivot, you know, and say, guess what? We thought our hamburger was great for the outdoors person, but it's actually for the gamer that would like hates to step outside. Yeah. Um, and so that changes your marketing strategy and your advertising strategy. Well, I always tell like our customers and, and listeners of the podcast is like, there, like, there is no such thing as good data or bad data. It's all just data and it has different value, right? Like, like if you're getting data that says your restaurants are really bad at doing something, then that's actually like a gift. That data is great data, even though it's giving you like something that you might construe as being bad. Because mm -hmm. now you at least know that it's happening and you can go and start coaching people and fixing the problem. You know, one of the things that we can do on our platform is we can have like we can grade the data as it comes in because we control the means of data collection. And so I can have accurate and I can grade data as accurate or not accurate. And I'm like, so you don't make big decisions off not accurate data. That's a stupid thing to do. But right. you so you hit the accurate button and then you're making decisions off of accurate data when you're making a decision that's based off of the data. But all that not accurate data, you know what that tells you is, hey, I've got some opportunities with my team that's collecting this data to make them better. I know, oh, by the way, here are all the people we should be focusing on right now because yeah. all been flagged is not accurate consistently over a long period of time. That's so, right. 
go and like use it. So there's no good or bad data. The, you know, but the key to data and getting a return on investment from data is actually taking an action based off of the data, period. Yep. And what's interesting about, well, there's two things. There's one thing that I absolutely hate about data. Um, the one thing I hate about data is the word data is plural. <laughs> so I have such a hard time using correct grammar with it. The data are yeah. interesting um, is technically how it's supposed to be said. And every time I talk about data, I, I mess it up and it drives me bonkers after the fact. So that's number one. Number two is like using data to understand and the, the reality of how to market. So we have a saying here that I, that I say often, and I think I have it in my book as well, which is you don't market and message and advertise to the person. You market, advertise, and message to who they want to be. And that's really, really, really important differentiation. So let's take the gamer. Now you could say, here are all this person's behaviors, blah, 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 blah. So you show an image of an out of shape, sloppy looking person laying on a couch. That's not who they want to be. So it's never going to go well, even though it's aligned with their behaviors, it's not aligned with what they want, um, specifically their values and optics. Uh, and so we talk a lot about that in here is like, while the affluent market in this particular neighborhood is your number one customer, the question is, who do they want to be seen as? Do they want to be seen as forever young, still hip, still cool, still in the know? Um, you know, might get a streak of purple in her hair and he might wear a t-shirt and affliction wear pants or something. I don't know. Like people aren't always aligned with who they really are. They're more often aligned with who they want the world to see them as. And sometimes it's very close. Sometimes it's very far away. And, um, the data won't necessarily be able to tell you that story, um, because the data that we get is partially objective, like makes this much money. Here are the things they'd like to do in their free time, so on and so forth. And so it's our job as an agency to bridge that gap using research and other data to start to develop a picture of their values and optics or projection layer, as we call it. That's what we market towards. That's what we try to bring people in on. That's the magic of, for instance, Sweetgreen. Um, it's not that they have amazing food. It's that their food stands for something. Same thing with Starbucks. If you told me Starbucks is the best coffee, best coffee in the world, I'd laugh at you. Yeah. It may be the most convenient. And because I'm paying three bucks for a cup of coffee in a world where coffee was 50 cents at one point, um, it's, it's a status symbol too. And it means something. So when, when you hold a Starbucks cup, you're part of a tribe of people that enjoy Starbucks. You are also saying to the world, I can afford this, I deserve this, and I'm on the go, I don't have time, I can't find my specialty coffee, I don't know, a list of things. Um, and that's our job as marketers and advertisers is to tap into the emotional benefit and the values and optics that, you're, that these people are trying to put into the world. Um, and sometimes we're quite successful at it. Sometimes there's a miss. Um, I'm talking holistically. Of course, Vigor, we're perfect at everything. We never do anything wrong. But uh, other people, I've heard stories, have missed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what does it say when you're drinking a cup of Starbucks with AirPods in your ears? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm impressed just by hearing that. <laughs> so the problem with AirPods for me is that I have like 
I'm very ashamed to say it must, I must have very deformed ear holes and they don't ever stay in my ears and it's driving me insane. <laughs> I, I went on to the Bose train just so you know, cause I didn't like the AirPods. Well, yeah, uh, I have like these little rubber things that go on that actually like lock them into your ear. They're amazing. They're like 10 bucks on Amazon. But yeah. The problem is I can't shut my AirPod case. So then um, my AirPods are always out of battery because the case drains them. And then two, anytime I touch anything on my phone and my computer, it tries to connect to my AirPods. So it's a really, <laughs> really great user experience for my informed ears. You're, I, you're in tech purgatory. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like, I, I want to be cool, man. I try so hard. Um, you know, it was interesting too, what you were saying about where their projected space, like these are the users that, uh, you know, have, um, the, the most affluent group in your area for these things. And it's like, you're talking about like, well, where do they want to be? But then the other question is, who are the people that want to be them? Who are going to be willing to spend a little bit more that maybe can't afford it, but they want to be at that fancy place or whatever, you know? That's right. You're, and those people are going to be the aspirationals. And so when we start to look at the group of people that we're talking to, uh, we try to dig in to figure out who is a mix of prevalent in market, meaning there's enough of them to really have an impact um who are primed to really like this spot this uh, brand and who can promote it who can actually influence others to come and i think that's the magic triad there um and so for instance there's a you know there's a new client we're working on and it turns out that the group that we have zeroed in on is um the younger generation in college who may not come there once a week it may be a couple times a month but their very presence there and the fact that when they're there, they're taking pictures and they're talking about it and, and telling all their friends, yada, yada. The very fact of that means that the real money maker or the real money spenders there are going to come there specifically because they've influenced that behavior. And so it's just a little bit different way of thinking about things because traditionally you say, oh, the affluence come there. Let's talk to the affluence. But the affluence are coming there because of what this other group is doing and mm -hmm. um you take them out then those other you know the affluence decide not to go and so um it's it's a, it's a really interesting approach and it's quite effective that's really cool um all right let's do question number three what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night oh gosh um it's not necessarily my industry, the industry of advertising and marketing, it's the restaurant industry. Um, and really it is this, this next phase of tech integration and leveraging it across more than just uh, marketing and advertising because it is holistic. And that sounds a little frou-frou, but it is. I mean, if we're good at marketing and we send them to a place that's poorly operated, we're losing, all of us are losing. And so the question becomes, how can we affect positive change across the organization without stepping on toes and create a collective effort ahead? That keeps me up at night almost every night. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I might've mentioned this when we were on your show. I wrote a blog and I probably wrote it like two and a half, three years ago. I have to look. It's called don't market yourself off of a cliff. And then the image is thumb and Louise driving off that cliff at the end, <laughs> Yep, which I, I licensed. And, uh, <laughs> but the whole, and I felt like we did the Quiznos was the king of this because at Quiznos, when we were like really struggling in 2008, 2009, we still had 5,000 ish restaurants, give or take, we were going down and we were, people were broke. 
the operators were broke and they were tired and they were disgruntled and they were sad and they just were like at their wits end, if you will. A lot of them were, and they were, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't have all the numbers in front of me about how quickly they, they dropped from 5,000 down to like, you know, now they're like 350 units, but we would do things like run a prime rib special, right? And at one point, Quiznos was the number one consumer of prime rib in the U.S. Like they would mm. buy all the prime rib. Up. And so we would do like BOGOs. Uh, BOGO, buy one, get one free prime rib sandwiches with a purchase of a drink and a soda, you know, for both. So, you know, and uh, first of all, I mean, there's, I, I will get into the, all the evilness that was going on. So Quiznos towards the end there made more money from their food distributorship than they did from actually uh, selling food for the restaurants. So they would drop ship, you know, a case of prime rib to every store in the chain and just do it, just send it to them. So now you got guys that are broke having, they might have prime rib sitting in their cooler right now. They just got $500 more prime rib, like just tacked onto their bill basically. Um, and that they would do that because they knew that the broke operators weren't buying the prime rib. So they were worried that they were just going to use roast beef and that the people wouldn't get what they paid for when they did. But also they were doing it because they needed the money. So they would just drop ship the prime rib. Totally evil. That was, you know, what they did to that food distributor. But the real problem was that because these guys were broke, they weren't running their restaurants well. They were understaffed. They were dirty. They The food might not have been as fresh as it needed to be. They just weren't great restaurants. We were meaning you weren't going to get a great experience. But yet they were doing national advertising with national coupon drops, driving in tons and tons of people into Quiznos to go get these prime rib sandwiches. And then you would get to the door. And if the operator might just put like a, a piece of paper, like on there, not honoring the prime rib coupon. Right. Because it was a franchise system. And so like, right. they didn't care. Like it was their money, not Quiznos's money. So, you know, you might get, so you might get that in a lot of stores where people weren't honoring the coupons and now the customer's just pissed off, you know, cause they got to the door and they keep going in to use their prime rib coupon and they're not going to get it. So now they're just angry or even worse is they came in and had a horrible experience. And so, the whole premise of marketing yourself off of a cliff, right? Is this notion that, you know, we're promising all this stuff through branding and advertising to the customers, but they're not seeing it when they actually have their experience with the restaurant. And, and, and then in the worst case scenarios are having a really bad experience, not just a medium experience. Like, yeah, this was fine, but like a bad experience. And now you've just, you, you spent all this money to drive somebody into your business. That's never coming back. Right. right. Like, and and that's what we were doing there. And we were well, not just never coming back to that location. Yeah. But possibly never coming to another Quiznos location in this case. Well, yeah. But like, you know, for most people, the location is the one that's closest to their house. It doesn't matter. Right. If there's 100 more. Like, I'm not going to drive 100 miles for Quiznos. Right. right. You know? But like, so yeah. But, you know, and then, and that, that marketing yourself off a cliff thing is like a massive deal. And I actually had to eat some crow on the podcast and in my blogs because I used to get so angry at people like in 2019 um, and before where I'd be like, why are you killing yourselves getting in delivery and taking <laughs> all this stuff? 
and you don't even like take care of the people you currently have. Same thing. You're marketing yourself off a cliff. You're bringing in all these additional sales, but ultimately they're just hurting you because you're not buttoning up your ops. Right. And then obviously people who didn't have that in 2020, they got their butts kicked and right. they really had to struggle to keep going. So I had to eat some crow on that. Now, you know, how often, you know, whatever. I mean, it was an unprecedented pandemic, but the business theory is still sound, right? Bringing yeah. people in faster to have bad experiences is generally a poor business thing, you know? Point. Yeah, you know, so Greg Creed, I think, covers a little bit of what you're getting into. I don't think you necessarily need to eat crow because you're not 100% wrong with what you were saying. That's true. Um, the fact is, is yeah, you pivot. You got to pivot. You got to listen to the way people are acquiring the food and what's changing and what will be coming down the pike. Yeah. But if you treat your people like garbage, that's only going to be a temporary solution because it's still crumbling from the inside out. Yeah. Um, so obviously, delivery spiked really heavily, but yeah. now we're seeing a big influx back inside a bit, uh, but not for every brand, not for every concept. I do see a correction like that's been happening over the last year and a half, two years. And I have to wonder if it's a permanent change, um, meaning everything's being optimized to be fast, fast, fast and low touch, high tech. Um, but I don't know if the delivery order ahead and pickup specifically is going to be as prevalent as it was during the pandemic. Um, I think it has the, uh, the high watermark is it's going to land higher than it was before, but we want people want connection. And I think now more than ever, while everyone's focused on tech, I think they need to understand the byproduct and the byproduct right now should not be focused on simply getting people food. It should be an optimi optimizing the overhead and therefore the cost. Um, anybody that doesn't want to have a discussion about, the, about inflation, um, is either lying to themselves, others, or both. Um, and the fact is, even people who are well off or at least comfortable, we're all feeling the pinch, everyone. Right. And if you as a brand uh, are not thinking about value meals or combos that optimize budget uh, for people, you're missing an entire group who want to continue to eat out, but don't, that just can't simply afford it more than once a week. Um, and so I think we're going to see a huge reclamation of that, um, of the value meal again. What was something to be kind of embarrassed about is now something that people are like, please, can you give me something that is a friendly option to my wallet? Um, and tech can help do that. And so what's great is a lot of investments have been made in technology, but if the pricing continues to go up and it's not pushed through to the, uh, to the, um, the patrons, then I think we're, you know, a lot of brands are missing a big opportunity in that tech optimization. Well, and you have to remember too, like tech's also focused, right? It's like a hammer. You might need a wrench right now. So you could have That's a right. hammer in the world, but if you don't have a wrench and it doesn't do any good, you can't just like hit a pole. Yeah, no plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> so like, cause you know, so that's one part of it for sure. I think too, with the delivery, you know, if you look kind of look at the life cycle of delivery and this kind of, I had like a, I did another recording earlier today and some of the things that we talked about in that recording are sort of coming through in this call too. Uh, which is really neat. But like, you know, if you look at like delivery, so that the problem with delivery at the beginning was like, obviously the delivery companies were fighting to get like their market shareholds. So they were being unscrupulous at any cost to just get on, to get you on that platform, even to the respect of 
in some places just putting your menu on and then call them literally having someone go in and order the food with a credit card and drive it out of there right mm -hmm. you know and like so that was horrible then during the pandemic delivery became everyone's lifeline and then also too what people realized was because through the technology and the delivery well we'll just raise our delivery prices up so that you know yeah we're going to pay a fee but then we're going to get two bucks more for everything right and so it'll all work itself out and so people i think have gotten to a point where they don't necessarily like giving away those that money for the delivery fee but they're not like losing their i don't believe as many people are losing their butts like they were at the beginning and i do think the delivery companies did see some good stuff they were like okay yep. Well, you can, for instance, if you come in through, they come in through your website, I won't charge you as much because part of what I'm marketing to you or selling to you is my ability to bring people in, you know, whereas I very rarely will go to, like, I got a, a cheesesteak delivered here uh, before this call. I don't go to the cheesesteak website and order it there. I order it from DoorDash. And so, you know, you know, they're going to pay more for that, whatever. But now, like with gas prices being so high deliver i noticed delivery times are getting longer because i think less people are out driving right yep and then um excuse we live in a rural we're well, not rural we live in a suburban area uh and so i i see that 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 delivery times are getting longer number one i see prices getting insanely high through the website like through doordash like i tried to order through chow now actually this like little greek place by my house like 19 bucks for like a gyro. I was like, are you kidding me? What yeah. are you doing? I can literally walk to this place. I was just being lazy. <laughs> it's that great. House. Um, like, so it, it delivery is actually it, it, is in a really scary spot right now because they don't employ their drivers, their contractors. They're going to have to raise fees to cover these increased gas prices, which is going to force the restaurants who are already having to raise prices because of the gas prices to raise them even more, they're going to price delivery, third-party delivery is going to price itself out of the marketplace or be really, I think it's going to get really stressed here very shortly. You oh, know? I 100% agree. I, I tried to take a lift this weekend on a Saturday and I couldn't find one in Atlanta, Metro, like in the city. Um, so, I mean, the gas, the gas prices, which obviously are, is completely affecting inflation in general, the, the cost of food, the cost of goods, um, you know, and I think it's making the case, it's actually stopping what could have been a strong rebound back to pre-pandemic norms. Now, I know that a lot of brands are starting to see some great traction and actually doing better than pre-pandemic. But I think this the gas issue is, um, you know, preventing folks getting back into the office as quick as they probably should, because hybrid is not only making sense for people who are uh, hesitant to go back to the office anyway, but now it's a, it's a financial issue. It's like, yeah, I'm happy to come into the office. You're going to need to pay me X amount of dollars more for the gas to get there. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a really th this industry from a leadership from a CEO level is becoming less and less about literally how how the uh, sausage gets made, as it were, and more and more about all of these in outside influences that are affecting buying behaviors, and then of course acquisition methods. Um, and so delivery becomes less feasible when you're paying just as much for the delivery as you are for the food or more, yeah. you know, and, uh, and that's, that's a dangerous place to be. So you're doubling down on something that is actually skyrocketing into being not financially feasible in a world where 
more like higher prices is actually a death sentence because we we can't afford anything more like you know for those that took home a thousand dollars a week they're only taking home nine hundred dollars now and it's only a hundred bucks to some people but to other people that's insane amount of money you know ten percent yeah you know ten percent of our check is being completely absorbed into nothing now um so the smart leaders are the ones that see this happening and see that it's it's either going to continue or it's going to plummet back down into recession. Both have horrible implications for frivolous spending, which is usually attributed to, uh, you know, dining out. Well, and that's actually interesting to do two points. One, I think Domino's has done something really, Domino's, I think, has great leadership. Um, they've got that new thing they're running now, which is, you know, getting your pizza home is a big deal. But like, come over here and we'll give you three bucks off. If yep. you just deliver it yourself, you know, and I think where this is going to be a huge opportunity for restaurant brands is the notion of, of curbside. They've got to start pushing back on, hey, look, you know, cur- you know, you're going to be driving by here anyways. We've got we spent all this money on a great app. You can order your order early and have it ready to go exactly when you want to be here and skip all the delivery fees and the tips save 10 bucks per, you know, on an average or like, and you could do this too. You could just go, Hey, go order it through DoorDash's platform with the normal gratuity you would use and the fees and then order it on their website and come up with that, that break number, right? Right. 15 bucks on an order that you would normally DoorDash by just driving over here and picking it up and it can be ready exactly the time you want. So I do think this gives restaurants a huge opportunity to get people back to ordering off their websites, get people back to coming and getting used to just coming out and grabbing stuff, right? And just pl- doing a little bit more planning, and and the value is the fifteen dollars you save from using DoorDash, right? Like, so yeah, you know, but like you said, they have to get good uh, and ace that operational model because, yeah. like for instance, there's a pizza place that I, my wife and I eat there more than I would like to admit. The pizza is very good and they have pasta too. That's very good. And it's Napolitana style pizza. So it's like my favorite, you know, very floppy uh, base, but nice and chewy crust. It's so yummy with the char on it. Um, I got to stop. I think I might be getting pizza tonight, but I, I got it over the weekend. I think uh, Friday night or something like that. And on it was a big postcard that says starting May 15th, we're no longer going to be on the third party delivery apps, but you can still get it if you just come pick it up. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I've picked up a few times. And there's nowhere to park without getting yelled at. So I have to do the thing I learned in New York, where if you just put on your flashers, you can really park anywhere you want. Um, and, but it's not, you know what I mean? It's, it's a pain in the rear. And so yeah. it's like, is your pizza good enough to have a few times a month? No, not unless I'm getting it delivered. Like I'm not going to come out. I might come out once a month, you know, or, or every other month. So they're going to see a dec- you know, a decline in sales. Uh, I don't think everyone's like me, but I also don't think I'm that different to where people are going to all of a sudden start driving there and picking up their own pizza. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of laughed when I saw it because I was like, well, and he, he, here I go again. Like, guess what? It wasn't solely that you had good pizza. It was the convenience of it as well. And yeah. even though I really like your pepperoni with hot honey on top, believe, don't laugh at me. It's actually really good. Um, even though I like that, there's another place that makes the same style pizza. It's really good too. And they're delivering. So I'm going to go there. 
And that's how people behave. There's brand loyalty up until a certain point, um, but yeah, not enough to make it up to be something. That's right. In addition, there's an that's additional right. cost. But yep. when you say like in that case, instead of going off the third party apps, like what we have always found, like from a pricing perspective with the platform is that like cutting price um, hasn't really worked for us. But what we find is taking something away, like, like they're cutting this like service. Like, so that now you perceive that there is something less here. Right. Right. And the reality is, is that like, they would have been better served continuing to do the delivery apps, but then doing a really focused effort, tape a letter to the, the top of the box, give coupons for pickup or not using the delivery apps. Like they could have incentivized people to move their behavior over time to, hey, you get a free salad, right? If yeah. you order through our website, we will or free cannoli. Yeah. Something yeah. that costs like nothing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just the cheap shit. Like free romaine lettuce and like a Caesar thing. We we call it our, our to-go Caesar, and it literally costs us less than a dollar to order through the through our website versus DoorDash solely so that I get the 10% fine fee versus the 20% fee. Like they could have just changed the behavior over time you know but like it's so interesting too and probably like one of the biggest curses of being a hotel restaurant person um is and you you said it earlier too they like they only see nickels and pennies and dimes like i literally have a blog on that that they like that's how decisions are made like you want to make an extra million dollars in the restaurant in the business next year then just sell uh you know an item that gives you a penny more profitability a million times and you'll be fine like that's like because you're not going to just there's not this broad stroke where you're going to put something on the menu that's magic of something dollars you know what i mean right. for the most part it's all these like little tweaks and changes but a lot of these restaurant guys cannot see through the the forest of the trees right like they can't see the big picture like you just cut this giant channel off you know yep the, yep the and, and it, it was quick you know i got that two weeks ago uh like I, so i got this past week and then in 10 days, we will no longer be able to get delivery from that place. It's crazy. And then, the, or solve your like parking lot problem. If their parking lot didn't suck complete butt, you might still go do it. But they obviously have a stupid parking lot, right? So yep. block off some meters or, you know, do something to like make it easy. We had yeah. this in here, Highlands Ranch. It's called Los Dos Patrios. And the guy used to live in our neighborhood and, uh, or in our old neighborhood. He didn't move, we moved. But yeah. like, you know, and so when the pandemic hit, he didn't have a website. He didn't have online order. I don't think he has it today. You call in. But like what he did was to keep everybody employed was he like roped off his parking lot and he had his servers in the parking lot and he got on our Facebook page and he was like, we are open, come support us. We have everything to go. He did some really cool things operationally, like he uh, unpacked the tacos so the shells wouldn't disintegrate on the way home. You know, he like put the love meat that. in there. Like, I loved it. It's just like he understood his product and he did it right. Um, and I mean, his he's always packed. His parking lot's always packed. And uh, and it's, it's kind of hard to get through there anyways. But like he just like, you know, he just did it right. Like this guy's not doing it right. He's just pissed off at delivery fees. 
He just got a bill for his delivery fees and he just magically in his brain thought, well, all that money would 100% still be coming to me, but I have to give it to these jerks now. Now right. he's counting that the delivery adds value and that's why people were doing it, right? Well, and he's going to learn real quick that it's not going to be one-to-one. Yeah. He, he doesn't get all that money, actually. He's going to lose money. Now, maybe it nets positive for him. And I really hope it does because I like the restaurant. I'm not mad at him. I just have, I think, a very real uh, critique of how it could have and should have been done versus how it was done. Yeah. And there's a part of me, too, that it's like, I mean, again, there, there's arrogance and Ubers at times where people think that their food is so good that people are just going to, like you said earlier, drive 100 miles to come get it. And they just won't, man. You know, and and I think that's the key uh, is that you have to be realistic. And I love that you said that he knew his food. That's important, too. Um, I I had a guy on the on the show who will go on name because he may or may not be a competitor of yours. But what he said was, um, you know, with his family's his family's restaurant, he, he would he would order and he would drive around with it for an hour and see what it looked like and then make adjustments. And I'm like, that is so important, you know, because like you said, soggy tacos, it's like, bro, like your tacos are delicious. But when I get it ordered in, by the time it gets here, they they are horrible. Um, And you don't want that, you know, even though you can't, you know, you don't have full control over what's going down and helping, you do have the ability to ideate and innovate. And I think that should be the name of the game for any leader. Well, and, you know, I mean, and I have never seen this yet on a menu, but I think it would be something I would like just make a symbol for it, make a Ghostbuster symbol for it. It doesn't travel well. Right. right. Yeah. Like, like put a plane on there with a with a line going through it. Like, you yeah. know, certain things don't travel well and certain things do. Like, you know, fries. Fries are fries are vexing. Nobody can figure out fries. And I'm like, you know, there's not a like the fried chicken guys have done a good job of box using boxes with holes in them strategically right. like moisture to pour out, but still keep the food hot and crispy. But like fries are like the ultimate like thing. They really legitimately need to be like made, you know, that's right. They, they have a half life and it's very quick. And so like people are still trying to figure that out, but like, like I, some honesty would be good once in a while. Right. Like with just like, Hey, don't order this to go. Yeah. 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 Or or simply just don't have it on the menu with a reason why. Like, guys, we, we don't we don't do this to go. It, it's horrible. It travels bad. You're not gonna like it. Yeah. If you want it, give us a call and maybe we'll place the order or just something. But yeah, yeah. honesty goes a long way because honestly, we, we've had peddlers as business owners for way too long. Yeah. Um, not worried about the repercussions. I think one of my favorite anecdotes was. I was sitting across the street in a uh, kind of like a cafe place before going to meet with a client. That client happened to be own a pizza company uh, and brand. And I was having breakfast and the owner came by and saw the company's menu. Um, First of all, I didn't know that they sold pizza. So I felt kind of bad because I'm like, yeah, it is really rude for me to have another like a competitor stuff on your table. Uh, But he just said, he's like, hey, our pizza is better. And I was like, I'm sure it is. And I'm sure your kids aren't ugly. And he was like, what? I was like, of course you think your pizza's better. It's yours. Yeah. I was like, I don't, now not only am I not interested, I also think you're a liar. And now that's a bad place to be. And that's what I think about any messaging that says we're the best. Try the best pizza in the world. Really? Because I got my lines of love, man. And so does everyone else. So 
How about a different message? Like, hey, we've used these certain kinds of ingredients to try to capture the real taste of, of you know, uh, Naples style pizza. You should try it. Now that's intriguing. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, uh, let me give that a shot. But I think that's where marketing and messaging really goes awry because people are convinced of their own BS at times. Um, and if somebody else gave you an award for it, sure, that's worthwhile talking about. Um, but yeah, it's, I think what's great about this industry is its pace. Um, it's also the burden of the industry and the fact that a lot of like a lot of small brand leaders find themselves to use your, your tool of choice, a wrench underneath the sink, trying to fix the plumbing rather than trying to solve the issue of why X food doesn't travel well. And yeah. I think it goes back to that, like figure out the things that only you can do take the stuff off your plate that you don't actually like doing or you're not good at and optimize your in, your spend and investment like that, you know, because you, you can't hire someone to analyze the food and figure out how to package it better and blah, blah, blah. That's something that only you can do. Uh, but you can hire someone to come over and fix that leaky pipe. And then I would say it's probably worth $150 to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've gone like, I think we're an hour and 45 minutes. Is anyone listening? I tell you what, if you're still listening, email me and I will send you a free copy uh, of the e-version of my book. The oh, wait, hold on. We're not done. We have two more questions. No, I'm I know. Just I'm just, if, if they're still listening, to get a little bonus there. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I will put that. If, if, if you're cool with that, I'll put it on the show notes. But Absolutely. Um, um, that's funny. I just, because I, I was looking at my clock going, wait a second, did we start at one? And then I looked at my calendar. Like, oh, no. But this has been such a fun conversation. Like this is, um, what is it, breaking into two episodes, which is, A, yeah. look at me. I'm like, I'm repurposing. That's perfect. Uh, I love so it. <laughs> we have question number four still. It's crazy. Uh, what is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? And that could be restaurants or advertising. Oh, that's a great one. Um, I'm going to go with advertising on this one because I think the, the challenges in the restaurant industry we've covered in depth. Um, there's always more, of, as you know, but <laughs> but for advertising, I'm I'm actually surprised at how many creatives in our industry are still um, absolutely lustful for a Super Bowl ad project. <laughs> and I just would have thought we'd be beyond that by now. Um, but the traditional gold standard moment is still what they want. Um, and yet we have all of this data that, that shows that the battle, the battle or the war isn't even won at that. I, I hate that I use that analogy because I hate violent imagery, but you know, the, the real meat and potatoes of our, of our industry happens every day, not once a year. And yet we have people who give social media barely a second thought, um, or worse, we have people who think emails are less than them um, in this industry and all the things that actually get traction, they just aren't interested in. And uh, I, I would have thought we'd be beyond that by now. That's interesting. You know, I, I've been so like, just disappointed with like the Super Bowls. I thought last year's game was amazing, which usually you don't even get a good game out of it. Like, but like the, yeah, it's, I think it's just a holdover. It'd be like, like, it's not relevant. It probably isn't like, I mean, 
maybe because the budgets are so big and that everybody's talking about it. Yeah, like it's a vanity thing. But, you know, you just brought up like one of the big things that we like fight people with on with what we're doing is like, look, because like, the standard in the restaurant industry, if you're in a chain, is just to audit them once a quarter, once a year, something like that, whatever. And, you know, that supposedly gives you an operational sense of what's happening versus, you know, it's the daily activity. It's the daily checklist that actually drive the behavior change, right? That drive, you know, in your case, we purchases or, you know, going to the website or exploring or taking that next step of interest or awareness. In our world, it's about driving those daily operational changes that make the business better and help you deliver a more consistent, you know, product. But, you know, and I see it too. My wife's a financial advisor and everybody, you know, is always coming to her like, Hey, how do I do crypto? Or I want to buy houses and flip them. And, you know, there's just so much advertising and, and, and uh, on real estate or all these different things constantly. Everyone's always looking for the big score, right? We're just yep. so trying to get the big score. But like when reality is, is if you just throw a little bit of money away every year, uh, and you just don't touch it when things get crazy. Like right now, you'll be a millionaire when you retire. That's right. You know, but if you try to time the market and jump in and out and switching currencies and trying to buy houses and flip all this stuff, you'll end up losing over time, right? Like you cannot time the market. That's so right. Believe in capitalism or you don't and whatever. But well, whether you believe it or not, it still exists. <laughs> so well, there you go. And but it's so funny because I have all this. Everybody's about the big score, and 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 like that should be one of your like disqualification questions when you're talking to people. You know, yeah. Would you rather win the lottery or would you rather just invest really smartly for thirty years? I want to win the lottery. Yeah, you, you're not a good person. Yeah, I mean, good luck, right? It's yeah. like you should. You should totally win the lottery. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm rooting for you. Uh, but meanwhile, the rest of us will continue living in reality and realize that, quite honestly, lottery winning is one in I don't even know the actual yeah, number. Um, it's just, but why why hope when you can bank? Like bank on growth, and that growth may not be putting you in a mansion tomorrow, but it might in a, in like ten years. Yeah. Um, and if you don't like that answer, then good luck. You know, and I don't hate you. You know, I really am rooting for you. I, I don't want people to fail out on anything, um, but we're, we're here to do the right thing. And I, I feel bad for your wife for that because I can imagine what those concepts look like. Uh, like, you know, I, I threw money in crypto and within a week I turned off the alerts because it is such a roller coaster that I'm like, this is giving me anxiety and I didn't do it to make money tomorrow. Like I just did it because I'm betting that in five or 10 years, this will be exponentially more. Or it won't, and I just won't make any money on that on those dollars. But you know, I wasn't banking on this to happen today. So why am I looking at the markets every day? Um, so oh, yeah, yeah that, that's a bummer. Here's <laughs> Good for other, her though. Nobody tells you at a cocktail party, "Oh man, I lost my ass on X, Y, or Z." Right? <laughs> right? Stupid. People only tell you about like like, "Oh man, I I flipped that house." And I made like, you know, 2 million bucks on it. Wow, that's really great. I flipped 20 other houses and I lost 2 million bucks. So I'm break even. Yeah. You know? Yep. Like, like I met a guy one time, he was a restaurant manager. Actually, I worked for him. And prior to becoming this restaurant manager for like yeah, 10, 20 years, he was a professional gambler in Vegas. 
And he was like, yeah, like last year I won $1.2 million and it cost me a million dollars to win. Wow. Like people always tell the story of I won $1.2 million. That's right. I would tell you that it, it actually was just, you know, a, it was like 80, it was 80 plus hours a week. He was in the casinos, you know, all day long for 15, 16 hours a day, you know, gambling nonstop, having to pay attention because he was actually, his livelihood was depending on it. Not just That's right. drinking a bunch of free drinks, right? He was in there professionally gambling, but you know, so he made 200K, right? Whatever. But like, yeah. But I mean, that's, that is more than a full-time job. You know, I, I even get that too, as a kind of sidestep and I'm sure you can commiserate, but you know, when people found out that I, that I owned my own business, you know, for 20 years, they're like, that must be nice. I'm like, are you kidding? I'm the worst boss I ever had. Yeah. Like, like seriously, I, I mean, I'm a slave driver, dude. Like I don't stop working when I'm on vacation, I'm still working. And it was like that for 20 years. And they're like, and they just look at me. I'm like, don't don't work for yourself unless you're ready to really work. Yeah. Because you can't complain to yourself about how hard you're working. Um, you can't change it because it needs to happen. You know, it's it is not all, you know, butterflies and bunny rabbits, as a lot of people think. Oh, yeah. um, and so I always laugh, like with the it must be nice commentary. My friend got that too. He was a banker. He worked his rear end off. And you know, when when he finally retired at like 39 years old, people were like, must be nice. He's like, what do you mean? It's like, I haven't had a life for 40 years, almost 40 years. I haven't had a life. Well, I guess that's a lie. He should have yeah. said like, you know, 20, but you know what I mean? It's like, he's like, I've been working since I was 15 years old. So what's nice about that? That I just, I get to tap out early. I mean, come on. Like, meanwhile, you're playing video games for five hours a day. It's like, you know, it's great. You have something that you like, but don't play video games for five hours a day. And then look at me and say, I'm somehow privileged or, you know, got lucky. It's like, no, I just, I've been working really hard. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, like there's a lot of, night, you know, yeah, it's all trade-offs, right? There's, I can't tell you how many times between like 2014 and like, I would probably the last one I pulled was maybe 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. I pulled a hundred all-nighters between those four or five years. Hundreds pushing it. I'll say fifty. If I really fifty all nighters, where I, I was literally awake at four in the morning working while my kids and my wife was asleep. When I look out my window, all my neighbors were houses were dark. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I was up working. And I remember like and like by the way, it's not like I you know like my wife works too. So it wasn't like my responsibilities went away because I stayed up all night working. No, like. I had to get up at six and then take the kids to school and then do all those things too. Right. And so like, like, and I just remember thinking to myself, if I ever like become like this rich dude, then this is why right now. That's right. Why? Because I worked all day yesterday, had dinner, hung out with my family, put everyone to bed at 10 and then got back in my office and worked another full day. And I'm about to work another full day today. And then I'll go to sleep tonight. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no, there's no substitute for that. There's not. <laughs> and and that, that's your own business. Your boss would never ask you to do that because, they right. think, but if you own your own company, like you said, it's not going to get done unless I do it. That's it's right. Not get done, Which means that I won't have the thing that I need to make that sale, which I need to even call this a business 
So somebody's got to do it. Like literally there's no one else around to do this. And we didn't even get our first like employee until a couple of years after we started. So right. like, you know, we did everything for the first couple of years. And that's just what you got to do. So. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Um, People don't want to hear that though. They just want to hear that you get to work. <laughs> they want to hear work-life balance. <laughs> yeah. When you get to sit on your back porch and work on your Mac, I do, at four in the morning. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good. All right, we're at number five, war story time. I just want a funny, cringe-worthy story. Could be from a restaurant, could be from an advertising campaign that blew up, could be client meeting. I don't care. I just want a good wrapper-up story. Oh, man. I should have been better prepared. Um, the ones that make me laugh are always the ones that are antithetical to growth and objective knowledge, like where people make a choice full well knowing that it is the worst choice you could make and then pondering the results uh, when they come back exactly how you think it would be. And so I have this one in the book, but I'll reiterate and I'll do my best to hide the entity. But we were working with a company that um, fortunately for them spent the 90s and early 2000s building a footprint in malls. Very lucrative. Uh, very not lucrative today. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, the ship is beyond sinking. Um, you know, they're, they're at the tippy top of the bow and they're almost underwater at this point. But, you know, we, we try to give them a model where they could get out of malls, a standalone model, reconfigure their menu offering along with the help of uh, some chef consultants, um, had a really good system going. And, um, and, and, and they sold like, you know, salads and wraps and bowls, like, very, you know, health, healthy halo food. Um, this thing was primed to go. There was a lot of energy and the first franchisee that bought it demanded they had Nathan's hot dogs on it. They said, yes, did it. And it failed. And I, I'm not saying it's all Nathan hot dogs, part, but complete antithesis of what they were doing. But because the money person made what seemed like a demand, they immediately crumbled all conviction behind the brand said, yes, took the signing bonus. And then that person closed their doors a year later. And it's just so tough to see decisions like that, where it's like, was it, was it worth it? Because after that, they had no confidence in their own brand and they didn't want to sell it anymore. So they went back to what they knew. They went back to doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on mall food court model. And in, in the last conversation that we had, I don't hate them. They don't hate me. We, we kind of had a high five and a hug and I said, best of luck. And I'm happy to help you connect with people if you need it or whatever. But uh, last I checked, I'm like, they're just, uh, they're riding this thing out until it's all done. And that's, there, there's no upward trajectory. There's no hope for the future. It's strictly, let's just ride this out until the inevitable happens. And so for me, that is a war story. I'm like, that is just so heartbreaking. And so against why I'm doing this, because what they basically said is, we know it's not going to succeed. But we're doing it anyway. But we're doing it anyway. Like, okay, but at least you know. <laughs> but like, oh, so, okay. So when I worked at Quiznos, my first job there was the uh, franchise assistance program guy. And one of the things that I saw, and I always call this my second MBA, but one of the things that I saw was people would call me and they would say, they, cause I was only there for like 11 months. So they call me in January, I'm 40 grand in debt. I need your help. Okay, send me your financials and I'll start working on them. 
Okay, then they would they wouldn't do anything, right? And then they call me in April. Man, I am 80 grand in debt. I am <laughs> out of business here. You gotta help me. I'm like, send me your financials, dude, and let me like work on them with you, and I'll try to figure them out. And then you know, then I get a call in like August. We are 120 grand in debt, and I'm closing my doors tomorrow. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. And when I realized for some people, those entrepreneurs specifically, and I think that it's just the entrepreneurial spirit, right? Which we both have, is that I like I went out, I told all my friends, I took a risk, I told my family, I put my own money into this thing. I cannot quit. I cannot quit. But yet they but they would and so they would just go deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And they and then but they stopped doing their business. Some point in the middle there, they just got a day job. They stopped running it, but they literally kept it open. Like they they didn't, they never quit, but they just did the worst thing, which is leave it open and just like draining money out of their lives. That's right. Years, and then eventually they had to be fired. And whoever the people that would fire you in any business are your creditors, your landlord if you have those, and your uh, and if the restaurants, your food distributor. Right. Those three people that will fire you. And so then eventually they get fired, with, but they tripled the amount of debt they had simply through inaction. Like they continue to do the same thing every day, wondering why it was failing. That's what these guys are doing, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, and you're just like looking at them like, is no one is no one telling you to stop? Like, what? what do you, why do you have to be fired? Quit yeah i think we we have this culture of not quitting and um you know silicon valley became known for the phrase fail fast and some people make fun of that but i'm like no 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 you got to understand what they're saying yeah. it's recognize what isn't working and stop it yeah stop doing it it doesn't mean shut everything down just because one day it was tough it's yeah. like nope this thing that we're doing we thought was going to work really well it is not working yeah. We're going to stop and reapproach with this knowledge that we gathered from this failure. Um, and even on the micro scale, I remember the first time I didn't finish a book. And the only reason I look back on it is to laugh and say to myself, I'm so glad I didn't finish that because I wasn't enjoying it. There were parts where I was absolutely repulsed by it and it was unbelievably blase and boring. And there's a part of me that felt really bad about not finishing it and just stopping like, I wasn't halfway, I would say maybe I got 15% of the way through it. And, and I just, at that moment, I'm like, there's no way this book actually gets better than what I'm reading right now. Cause it should have hooked me by now. Yeah, I'm done. And, uh, it was an Augustine Burroughs book. And after that, I haven't read anything else he written. Cause I was like, I don't just don't think you're a good writer for me. You know, maybe some people love him and that's awesome. High five to you, but I quit reading that book. I never looked back and I don't think my life would be incredibly different had I not. But what I learned in that is there literally there's no one telling you to keep doing it yeah. except pride maybe or a weird challenge to pursue something that ends in worse failure the more you do it <laughs> um, but like these people they're like almost paralyzed with fear yeah and yep. in your example right and it's like we're trying to get it through to our sales guys right now it's like dude sandler i don't know if you ever read the sandler book uh, Sandler sales method or whatever. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. All the sales books in the world, that guy, like he wrote his in like the late seventies, early eighties, whatever, sixties. 
you know, based on his own experiences. And some of it feels dated if you read it today, because it's like, you know, demos are with a big deal for him, which like today are pilots and software or whatever. But like, you know, his concepts are so dead on today as they were back then. It's insanity. Like, like just, just try to get to the no as quick as possible, man. Like it sounds counterintuitive, but it's not, you know, like that's fail fast. Like, cause people will waste your time in a sales process indefinitely because you're giving them stuff. You're giving them information for free and they don't have to do anything for it. Like, you know, but right. like, just find reasons why this isn't going to work for them and try to get them to agree to that reason. And then if you've run out of reasons that something won't work, then the, the natural answer is yes, it will work, but try to get through every reason why it can't work and keep pulling back. And actually you'll get people to move faster, right? It's nuts. Yeah. There's actually a technique. Um, I think it was, uh, either coined or established or both um, by the Mitsubishi Corporation called Five Whys. And I also mentioned this in my book, but it's a great way to find the root of a problem. And you just simply ask the question, why, five times. Yep. And it would go something like this. The, the car's battery keeps on dying. Why does it keep on dying? Well, it seems the alternator isn't charging it up. Why is it not charging it up? Oh, it's not a strong enough alternator to actually get enough charge to keep the battery at full capacity. Why is that? Well, we tried to save money by going with a smaller alternator. Already we know the problem. So we can say, okay, let's look at a bigger alternator. <laughs> like, yeah. um, actually, I don't even know if that's real. I don't know if alternators are big or small or whatever. I'm just kind of making it up. Um, but that's the goal is you rare is the case that you can identify the the core root of a problem just by looking at it and saying, oh, we don't have enough sales. Oh, let's call marketing. They're not doing something right. It's like, well, wait, maybe that's true. Let's pin that. Well, let's dig in deeper. Yeah. You know, why is the marketing not working? Oh, because we only are investing X amount of dollars a month. And so we really can't get a lot of traction. Why are we not investing more? Because we allocated our dollars X amount elsewhere to promotions instead. How is that? You know what I mean? Like you can, just, you can yeah. really dig in and figure out what the root of the problem is and then make real solutions happen. Yeah, no, it's so true. And uh, we did this, we did a similar thing in the past too. It was like, so what? Just keep saying, so what? And so you can't say, so what anymore? Because eventually you dig deep enough, you get to the core issue. That's right. That's right. I love so, it. So Joseph, uh, thank you so much for being on the show, man. We're going to- Yeah, thanks for having me. Episodes, and then I will just hang on and I'll get with you exactly what links for stuff um that i can put in the show notes brilliant thank you so much for having me man this has been great oh it was so fun take care you too oh stop let's see if it works oh hold on there's a window in front of it <laughs> i will edit all this out